to the Naked Security Podcast. My name is Kimberly Trung, and to my virtual right, I have Doug Ameth. Howdy! <laughs> and to my virtual left, I have Paul Ducklin. I've had a few seconds to think about it, and I almost got sucked into it, but... <laughs> uh, I was really I'm hoping. not going... Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. So before we get into the headlines, I'll quickly tease the oh no of the week, which is watch out for those colors. Watch out for those colors. Again, at the end of this episode, oh no of the week. Uh, We'll quickly drop some recommendations. I have chugged through WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. I highly recommend it. Even if you're not super deep into the Marvel Universe or Marvel Cinematic Universe, as they say, I would highly recommend this show. I think it's beautifully done. It's a great story. Okay. I've been wondering about that. So thank you. You're welcome. Doug, do you have a recommendation? Yeah, totally related. Uh, Everyone that knows me knows I love a good crossword. And (laughs) I used to be really into them using an app on my phone. But then I thought, you know, I like doing them on paper better. There's just oh. something about a pencil with an eraser and paper. And- oh, no, 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 no. Do them with a ballpoint pen. So you have to commit. Solid. No, no way. No changes. No, sir. One mistake, game over. I know. <laughs> I can't live like that. No, <laughs> no, no. That's the techie's way to do it. Yeah. Well, maybe someday I'll I'll graduate to yeah, that. Yeah, next the- level right there. The site I use is called freedailycrosswords.com. It's not too easy. It's not too hard. There's a printable crossword every day. So go to the printable crossword puzzles link. Every day, a PDF, uh, and you just print them out. And I use a clipboard. I walk around the house. I've got about (laughs) 10 at a time on a clipboard. So I look like a, you know, kind of a nerdy middle management (laughs) type doing, uh, you know, in a factory somewhere, but doing crosswords. (laughs) Instead of sitting down and staring at your phone all day, like I'll sit down and be like, you know, everyone's staring that. at their phones and I'm, I got my clipboard doing crossword yeah. puzzles. Freedailycrosswords.com. Probably a great training for playing Scrabble. Mm-hmm. If you Love think Scrabble. That, that game. Yeah. Do you? Yes. Well, I don't like painting, but I like uh, watching it dry afterwards. Mm. And I, but I, I like Scrabble about the same. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. oh. Sorry, wow. Doug. Shots fired. So Crosswords mean. I love. Scrabble. Oh, yeah, it's dear. a slow game. Wow. It's a slow, slow game. Maybe if they speed scrabble. Mm, yeah, t- with a timer. 15 seconds a move. Yeah, yeah dude, like with a chess clock. I might okay, go d- for that. But... You don't like scrabble, but what do you like? Mm. What are you recommending this week? Very quickly, it's a band I recommended before, sort of uh, detuned instrumental doom metal stuff. Great programming music. They're called Malamar, maybe in the first band I recommended. Mm-hmm. They recently put out a new album called Mazza. Go to Bandcamp and check it out. I think you'll like it. Poor Scrabble did not make it into a good position this week. I like Scrabble. I'm going to put it out there. Doug, what's happening in the headlines this week? Okay, well, it's a week, so we're going to talk about an Apple problem again. So this is an an unpatchable vulnerability in Apple's new M1 processor. We're going to talk about the website Have I Been Pwned? It is partnering with the FBI. And we're going to talk about a COVID-19 tracker that turns contact data into sales leads, which sounds bad. But Mm -hmm. first, fun fact. If you ever find yourself in need of a frustratingly uncommon but not unheard of quadruple A battery, quadruple A, 
you can often find six of them housed inside a common 9-volt battery, the kind used for your smoke detectors. <laughs> I needed one this weekend for a tablet stylus I was trying to use to do a crossword puzzle by hand on my tablet. <laughs> it was late, and I was feeling adventurous, which is a fun way of saying I'd had a few drinks. And after peeling the 9-volt battery apart, voila, I found six quadruple-A batteries inside. Do not remove wow. your smoke detector battery for this, but if you have a spare 9-volt battery lying around, and you need a quadruple-A, you can find six of them often inside a 9-volt battery. That's a fun fact. The only, my only advice there, Doug, would be to go and park outside the emergency room <laughs> at a hospital <laughs> first in case you Just sort of gash your finger open you're while right. you're trying to... Mm -hmm. Actually, you couldn't do that because obviously if you're drunk enough to cut yourself on the battery, you shouldn't be driving to the hospital. Maybe get a lift <laughs> Have someone drive um, you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would look for an electronic device that did not take a quadruple A battery. I did not know this took a quadruple A battery until I was like, my stylus doesn't work. And I unscrewed and I was like, there's a battery in here. These newfangled styluses <laughs> are called active styluses and they use a battery for some reason. Wow. I can see why they'd use the battery like that actually because it's long and cylindrical, not flat and round. Yep. Yeah. So, makes sense. There's gold in them that are 9 volts. So, speaking of cracking things open, uh, if we were to take the M1 chip out of an Apple computer, we would find that it's a miracle, but not in a good way. Apple's M1 processor apparently has an unpatchable flaw. And looking out my window here in a sleepy beach town north of Boston, all the streets are on fire. Panic is the order of the day, and life as we know it will never be the same again. Right, Paul? Yes, this was an amusing story which came out a week or so ago. Uh, a researcher who called Hector Martin, who runs uh, a Linux project to try and get Linux running on Apple's M1-based laptops as an alternative to Mac OS, obviously realized he'd better learn a lot about the m1 and in amongst his research to try and write some low-level stuff he found this bug uh and he gave it a, an impressive name uh as you say miracles where the the i in miracles is one so it actually stands for missing register access controls leak el0 state you can see why he's stuck with the with the shorter form which is still confusing rolls right off the tongue and slightly naughtily what Mr. Martin did is he wrote this up on his bug with an impressive name website and he didn't get round to the bit about actually this is not a big deal at all till right near the end where he said I bet that if you're a journalist you're wishing you'd read this far now and didn't read the first half and then publish <laughs> so he was kind of trying to wind up the tech media a little bit and he claims to have succeeded by getting some people to cover the story without going into the, the, the grave details about the fact that it's a of research interest more than a clear and present danger. But very simply put, it's a way that a user land, an unprivileged program on an Apple device that has an M1 chip. So that would be one of the new MacBooks or the, the super duper new iPads. A program that doesn't have any privilege can write to a what's called a, a system register on the chip. That's something that's supposed to set up and configure the chip. Normally, they would be only accessible to the kernel because you can do things like reconfigure the chip, change security settings and all that. So userland processes are only supposed to be able to ask kernel processes, would you mind changing this status register for me? And the kernel, of course, can say yes or no 
according to how it likes the app. And he discovered that there was this one undocumented register. Looks like it was put there in case Apple needed it in the future that he could write to without causing any exception or crash or problem. Then he could go to another thread or another process running on the same chip and he could read out from that same register the data he'd just written. And that's all there is to it. Hmm. Doesn't sound very terrible, but it isn't supposed to happen. In other words, the kernel and the chip is supposed to be in charge of whether process A is allowed to communicate with process B. So if process A wants to write into memory that process B reads out of, then they both have to ask and the kernel has to agree that they can have this shared memory area or a way to communicate. And he found this secret undocumented register right in the heart of the chip where he could put in data from one program and read it out from another. So nobody's going to use this for malware. It can't let malware be implanted, but it is nevertheless a bug that isn't supposed to be there in the chip. And here's the problem. How do you patch it, given that it's baked into the chip, almost literally, if you think of how silicon chips are made? And so that was the, if you like, the entirety of the story. Fascinating research project. And a reminder that things can go wrong at any level, right from software through the operating system, through firmware to the chip itself. So this will be interesting to watch. The next, the M2 chip they put out, do they address this <laughs> or are they just like, who cares? That, I think, is one of the more interesting parts of the story is what will Apple do? Because what you'd expect is for Apple to go, yeah, well done, love your work. That wasn't supposed to happen, but nothing actually officially uses that register. So you can't use this writable register to cause anything bad to happen on the chip. That would be nice for them to say. And then they'd probably say, by the way, we're going to fix that little problem. Like we'll either remove that register or we'll stop the writability on the M2, but you don't have to worry. It doesn't invalidate anything, any of the security on the M1 itself. But there's the thing with Apple. They don't ever say anything about security stuff, even if it's fun and harmless and interesting, even if it's exciting and useful and you can learn a load from it in how they responded. So I don't think we'll know with Apple, like if this ends up being patched in the M2, would that be because Apple listened to this? Or just because they decided to change it anyway? Because I'd like to see what they think about it. I don't think any harm would be done if they were to comment. But they don't. And that's just the Apple way. And there's no way to address this via software. There's no way to say if something's trying to write to this register, just don't let it do that. There are some things you can do, but some of them would be quite slow implementing in software. And uh, the other problem is that you'd imagine that every time you did a process switch, then the operating system could just reset this register. But it turns out that this doesn't just leak these two bits. That's all two tiny little wee bits of data between two processes or two threads. It will leak them between two processes running on different cores, different sub CPUs inside the processor, which means they could actually be running at the same time. So it's an interesting problem. And it does it does raise a little bit of an egg on face question. My golly, how long has that bug been there? And why didn't Apple notice? And are there any other secret things in the chip we could go probing at? Because as far as I can make out, 
Uh, Hector Martin, he's looking at obviously getting Linux to run on the Mac. Now, he can't do that for iOS because the, the iOS hardware is locked down. So he doesn't even have an iPhone and he hasn't been looking at them. But apparently this bug is in the A14 chip, the most recent ARM processor that's in the iPhone series on which the M1, the, the chip for the Macs, I presume uh, A for ARM or maybe A for Apple and M for Mac, who knows. Uh, apparently this bug does exist in earlier versions of the chip. So it's also a fascinating story about, I wonder how long it's been there, and is there anything else to worry about? I don't think there is, and if there is, nobody's found it, and if they have found it, they're not telling anybody. And I love your advice, there's nothing you can do, but fortunately there's <laughs> nothing you can do. So That's good advice. That is the unpatchable in quotes, Vuln in Apple's new Mac chip, What You Need to Know, on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All righty, let's head into our next story. Have I been pwned? Partners with dot, 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 the FBI. <gasps> um, or maybe Kimmy, I you're supposed to read that dot, dot, dot. As, as do, a dun, dun, dun. Do, do, yeah, I know. Dun, dun. Let me do that again. <laughs> uh, have I been pwned? Partners with dun, dun, dun. dun, dun. dun. The FBI. Okay, there. That, that definitely sounded better. In, in the headline, those, that, that, that amazing sound is just three dots. Mm. It is just three we'll dots. Leave, yeah, yeah. We'll leave you two. Nice ellipses for you. But screen readers will pick that up as dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yep. Exactly. I love, I love a good dot, dot, dot. Um, so in case you have never heard of it, Have I Been Pwned, or HIBP for short, is an online service run out of Queensland, Australia, by data researcher Troy Hunt. Now, the idea behind Have I Been Pwned was pretty straightforward to give you a quick way of checking your own online accounts against data breaches that are already known to be public. In theory, you'd hope you wouldn't need to go to a third-party site like Have I Been Pwned to find out, but there are so many problems with relying on the combined goodwill and ability of a company that's just suffered a breach to inform you. And of course, uh, if the company knows it's been breached, uh, the scale of the breach might not be obvious at first. So Troy Hunt uh, and the Have I Been Pwned database was started in 2013 with all of this in mind. So flash forward to 2021, data breaches are still happening. What's the scoop here, Duck? Why is Have I Been Pwned partnering with the dun-dun-dun FBI? Yes, I thought that was uh, amusing or interesting given that the idea originally was, well, a company's been hacked. A whole load of data has been stolen. It might include usernames, credit card numbers, government IDs, SMS messages, emails, passwords, plain text, passwords, semi-hashed, passwords, properly hashed. Who knows? And that data is, you know, not just the crooks have got anymore. It's kind of everybody knows it. So that's what happened to Adobe back in 2013 with a data breach that started I think they first came out and said, yeah, it looks bad, folks. We think it might be as much as 2.9 million records. And mm. then shortly afterwards, they said, actually, we've changed our mind. It wasn't 2.9 million. It was 38 million. But in the end, Oy. it seems that it was 153 million. And of oh. course, <laughs> that's the second data dump, the, the data, publicly available data that, that Troy put into his database. And the idea was, well, if he can categorize data, things like email addresses against specific breaches, then you could go to his site and you could say, look, here's my email address. Have I been breached? And most importantly, you know, where did I show up? 
So his idea was collect the data. I think he now has data from over so over the last what eight years from <laughs> wait for it 538 separate breaches now those aren't just we've had more than 538 breaches sadly since then but these are breaches where the data has kind of become so widely known that anybody could get it and abuse it if they wanted and you can go and search in there and the other part of this is he has a service called pwned passwords which is a hashed list of passwords i downloaded it today there are something like 600 million password hashes in there uh you can download it. it's like a 10 gig download 30 gig when you unpack it and you can go looking for the hash of your password in there which is a good indicator that not necessarily a big well-known breach but some crook somewhere must have got hold of your password they may say too little too late but it's kind of interesting that you can collect this data and make it securely searchable so people don't have to tell Troy what their password is. Uh, they can download mm -hmm. this data and check it for themselves. Problem, where do you get those 600 million records from? Right. Well, as we know from his 538 data breaches that are massive breaches that are a matter of public record already, there are plenty of sources. But one organization that comes across this stuff quite a lot because they go after crooks to find what they've got, is the FBI. It doesn't identify anybody. It doesn't say this was X's password or Y's password. It's just a list of passwords that we know crooks already have. You can go in and see whether your password's on that list, and the FBI will be feeding into that, presumably on the motto that, you know, more is merrier. Do we think this is a good thing? Well, I quite like the idea that you can go in and check your password. Of course, the problem is that people get used to the idea that they can do it with Have I Been Pwned? And he explains, Troy explains on his side, how he avoids learning exactly what your password is uh, and how he does the search. And you obviously have to trust him if you're going to put in your password or you could just put in the hash of your password. The counter argument is that it softens people up to for crooks to come along and we've seen this any number of times hey has your password been breached come mm. to our website don't go to have i been pwned here's a better one yeah. come to our site type in your password and we will work out whether your password's been compromised and guess what as soon as you put it in it has been compromised <laughs> surprise because you have exactly pwned. the same as these sites has your credit card number been stolen by the crooks and you put in your credit card number it goes we think it has to confirm you need to put in the expiry date and you know so that's a counter argument that says well it's softening people up to for uh air quotes competitors to come along and say oh we have a service like troy hunt um, just put in your password and, and we will run off with it because then typically they will ask for additional information that would help them tie the password back to you now obviously with troy hunt you're just looking up a hash of the password so it doesn't actually it doesn't actually say oh it's the pa password belonging to any particular person and he has a way that he's divided these let's say 500 million hashes into a million buckets of five about 500 passwords each and all you need to do is go and retrieve one of those buckets it's based on the first five hexadecimal digits of the hash and then you get a list with so you don't have to download gigabytes of stuff and if your password hash is in that sub list then you know you've been pwned i think at worst you can be neutral about this but what you can't ignore 
is the fact that his pwned password database just without him going out and hacking himself this is just stuff that other people have already figured out about internet users that database is already has more than 600 million passwords in it yeah and we're not just talking about password password one one two three four five six and the obvious password those are in there believe me but there are hundreds of millions of passwords that are in there exactly once each because they were correctly chosen they were wisely chosen they were long they were random they were unique but yet somebody else knows what it is uh if you want to check out this story you can go on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com the title of that article is have i been pwned partners with dun 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 the fbi that was a slightly different that was really like good. A... That was like a law and order. <laughs> that was like I was going for a law and order mood. No panic here because it's a good story, I think. Yeah, and it's it's a fascinating insight into how these what you might call public private partnerships of people who actually care can really work out. So that you know, well, we want to advise people when something bad has happened without emailing everybody and saying, "Well, you've probably been pwned." Uh, let's provide a mechanism where people can securely check, and lo and behold. Uh, the FBI can contribute very positively to that. Yeah, we don't need we don't need the dun dun dun. We don't need that dark low register base. Anyway, moving on uh, to technology etymology. Yes, I'm gonna pull the Sophos minivan over to the side <laughs> of the road at a scenic viewpoint. We're gonna get out <laughs> and stretch our legs. Oh, at least it's not because we've got a flat tire. No, no, no. run out of fuel or the driver's stuck on some difficult (laughs) Scrabble word. Yep. He's doing crossword puzzles behind the wheel. (laughs) While driving. (laughs) Today we're talking about the ampersand. We may take the little and symbol for granted, but it is the glue that holds together many a complex web address, among other things. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, the ampersand symbol has been around since the first century and used to be part of the English alphabet. As recently as the early 1800s, school children reciting their ABCs concluded the alphabet with it. However, it would have been confusing to say W, X, Y, and Z, and. (laughs) So the students said, and per se, and. Per se means by itself. So the students were essentially saying W, X, Y, and Z, and by itself, and. Over time, and per se and was slurred together into the word we use today, ampersand. Ah. And another fun fact, a word created from a mispronunciation like that is known as a mondegrine. Oh. I would question your observation that the ampersand symbol was part of the alphabet. Uh Oh. It's merely what is known technically as a ligature, which is where you write two letters squidge two letters together or abbreviate them in some way which obviously back in the first second seventh tenth centuries was quite important um because you had to copy everything out and the ampersand if you go back and actually some typefaces reflect this if you look at the design it was actually a squiggle that stood for the letter e followed by the letter t latin for and et and so it was just a quick way of writing and there were other ligatures and abbreviations that they used to avoid writing long common latin word endings like orum and arum over and over again too 
and it just stuck um whereas many others did not mm. great percent as well the percent sign is a ligature that stands for divided by 100 which is why it has two little zeros in it mm. fun facts on top of fun facts on top of fun facts non-stop learning <laughs> stop learning what is uh the our last headline this oh week, boy Doug? we're gonna talk about a COVID 19 tracker no it is an app meant to help businesses in the uk meet hurriedly imposed COVID track and trace rules and it asked its users for consent to share their data data that was used to try to sell them stuff paul i'm guessing that's either frowned upon if not a full-blown no-no <laughs> yeah. uh maybe an oopsie daisy I found this an interesting story, even though you could consider it parochial because it's specific to the UK and UK law and the UK Data Privacy Commissioner, the Information Commissioner's Office, ICO. But I think there are some interesting warnings in here for marketing departments worldwide. Mm -hmm. It was a service that people could buy into in the middle of last year when things were opening up again and then they had to close down and, and things like coffee shops were allowed to stay open, but you needed a way of keeping track of people. So companies came along and said, look, we'll do it and we'll kind of make a, we'll, we'll build this into a website. There's an opportunity to do some marketing for this. In that sense, it doesn't sound too bad because obviously signing up for marketing emails in the UK and in the European Union is very strictly opt-in. And the box you tick that says, yes, I want to be in, has to be off by default. And this company did exactly that. They had an opt-in, and that was not what got them into trouble. What got them into trouble was that they just weren't specific or clear enough, and the Information Commissioner's Office formed the opinion that this was a very bad thing, and ultimately ended up fining them. Now, they got fined £8,000, which is about... 10,000 US dollars. So it's not a fortune. The company cooperated and they, they agreed to do the right thing. But it is a warning that even when you ask people for permission to do something, you need to make sure that you don't overstep the mark. Because A, you may fall foul of the regulator with good reason, because the law is the law. And B, the reason the regulator might get excited is that it may be down to people complaining. And it seems that that's what happened in this case is there is nothing fundamentally flawed with the idea of saying, I know we're collecting your email address so we can mail you if other people who come into the shop later turn out to test positive for coronavirus. But by the way, since you come to the shop, would you like us to email you about other things that might be happening during lockdown or whatever? But the problem here was the very, if you like, self-servingly liberal way that the company worded it. And they wrote, tick here if you agree for this venue, I that would say your coffee shop, it's Alliance, which they did not define, and this website to send you marketing materials in the future. And people who did tick this and did start receiving marketing materials realized that what was meant by the alliance of this venue was kind of presumably anybody else who was part of the club of people using this service. And understandably, the Privacy Commissioner figured you have to be clearer than that. The law requires you to spell out what you mean. So that was why they got into trouble. If they'd said this venue and any other venue that is signed up to our service, then I imagine people would have thought, no, hang on. And so the, the Privacy Commissioner said, no, you need to spell this out. And most importantly, if you want to collect this stuff, you have to say, tick here if you want to get emails about this venue from us. 
Tick here if you want to get emails from anybody using our service and tick here if you want to get general emails from the company that runs the service. So you have to do it as... Yeah, split them out. Yeah. So it's quite clear really what your intention is with the data. And it's just interesting that although the fine could be considered fairly modest, it is an indication to companies that when you're going for opt-in marketing, you do need to sit down and decide how much your reputation is worth. Because I imagine this will cost the company a lot more in what people think of them than the £8,000 of the fine. And the flip side of that is when you're a user, you need to sit down before you tick any of those boxes and decide how much do you think your contact data is worth? You know, is your email address actually worth knowing that the coffee shop is opening longer hours? Set a value. Could even be a financial value that you think you'll get back in saving. And then whatever that value is you've decided, just stick to it. Figure out whether what somebody is offering you online, if you tick this box, meets that value. And if it doesn't, then just don't feel compelled to do it. Whenever someone asks for my email address at a retail place, they're like, wow, Mailinator, is that your company? Do you, what is Mailinator? What, do you, what does Mailinator do? I'm like, oh, um, I can't tell you, but I'll never hear from you again. Goodbye forever. Yeah. Um, an interesting flip side to the story is actually it seems that some people complained that they received messages from this uh, company even after they'd asked to be removed from the list, mm. which sounds like a terrible offence. That is a no-no. Yeah. Except that actually in this case, it seems that the reason that they kept getting data is that the company really did the right thing. These people, they'd actually ended up inadvertently perhaps because the sign-up was considered misleading. They'd actually signed up twice. And in between the first time and the second time, they'd asked to be unsubscribed. And this company hadn't just done that silly thing that a lot of companies do where they go, oh, well, we'll unsubscribe you, but you can resubscribe later whenever you want. In other words, they hold on to your data. This company did try to do the right thing. They completely purged the person's information from their database. So when they signed up a second time, they actually genuinely had no idea that it was somebody who'd already asked to be removed before. And therefore, it seems that that was okay. So that's another of my recommendations. If you are a company that does send people marketing emails and they do come in with unsubscribe, don't just say, oh, we take you off the list, but you know you can resubscribe later. Offer an option at the same time that makes it easy for you to be removed from the database entirely so you know you never have to worry about your data being in there because what you don't have, you cannot lose. Love it. Okay, that's Regulator Finds COVID-19 Tracker for Turning Contact Data into Sales Leads on nakedsecurity.sophos.oh. No. <laughs> that's not the website, I don't Doug. think dot oh no is a top-level domain yet, Doug, but for <laughs> not yet. You know, a couple not of hundred yet. thousand dollars, you could probably put in a bid for it. Yeah. Oh, yep. oh, no, not me. Uh, guys, it is that time of the episode. We are winding down. We're about to close up shop, but before we do... We got to give you the oh no of the week. Just keep it quiet, writes. Recently, I made a few documents that allow us to track the progress of how many people have received their new work safety and data security training in our departments. It's a simple list with names. The cells for people who need both trainings are red. Those who only need work safety training are yellow. In the Excel sheet, if a person is done with their training, you just double click on the name in the list and the cell becomes green. 
Now, what I didn't consider was that the manager on site is colorblind. Oops. It's as simple as that. I got a very confusing email where he wrote how confusing the colors are and if I could change them. I did, and everything was okay. When I asked him about it, he said he's not colorblind. Well, I've known him for three years at this point and never knew anything about it either. Well, today, I get a simple text message that said, Well, there goes my dreams of becoming an electrician. Smiley face. We had a good laugh about it. The end. He didn't know he was colorblind? He didn't know he was colorblind. How is that possible? Some people go a long time. Color alone, particularly on a, so on a computer screen, is a very bad way of officially discriminating things because different screens render the colors differently. And that's why certainly in the UK, road signs have specific colors, like you know signs that tell you can't do something have a red ring around the edge. But the shape is also used. So as you learn when you do a, if you ever have to do a UK driving test, circles command triangles worn and rectangles in form mm. and so the shape of the sign tells you love it in my part of the country yeah. which is the the, the uh, oldest part there's we, we have a system it's pretty easy to follow it's like what speed limit is this i've been driving on this road for 10 miles no signs what, there's a four-way intersection no stop signs you just <laughs> make it up as you go and that's how it is in the northeast that was the most jarring thing for me moving from Florida to Massachusetts was the fact that there were legit no street signs yeah. for street names for nothing. Like They're so proud of it, too. They're like, I'm like, uh, you know, I moved out here from Minnesota. I'm like, it's really confusing. They're like, that's how we like it. And I'm like, why? Why do you like it like that? Because like, so then an idiot so like me terrible. comes to town and starts crashing into people. Well, yeah. the, the cybersecurity way to deal with that is to have sensible defaults mm. so for example in the uk if you're in an urban area or on a road with street lights and there are no speed limit signs then the limit is 30 miles per hour mm. we've learned a lot today and some of the knowledge may never get used but at least it's now taken up space in my brain i'll tell you what doug <laughs> uh, just because i feel so bad now about about dissing you as a scrabbler Give us, give us your favorite and most useful and most game-crunching final moment two-letter words. Which two-letter words have served you best in oh. the game, I'm using air quotes, of Scrabble? Well, the ultimate two-letter word, of course, is key, Q-I. I don't know what that means, but that is just a killer. You play that <laughs> on a tri say, triple letter that? or triple word and get it going both ways. That's the one. So what is your biggest score on a single word? What's your personal record? Oh, it was in the hundreds, you know, because you get 50 for a full full word, and it was quixotic or something like that. It was like in a triple word, like just... And the, the other player can't come back from there, can, or can they? It's over. No, no, it's over. Speaking of over, <laughs> we need to close out this episode. Please I'm do. certain the listeners are like, please, for the love mm. of God, stop talking about Scrabble, even if they are a fan. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this oh no and you have an oh no you can email us tips at sophos.com or you can leave an anonymous comment on any of our articles on nakedsecurity.sophos.com or you can dm us on twitter facebook instagram at naked security or you can hit me up on reddit my username is oh no 
It's Kim. O-H-N-O. It's Kim. And until next time. Stay secure. Dun, dun, dun. The FBI.